Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. For more information about Adventure Church, please visit our website at adventurechurch.tv. Now prepare your hearts for a message from God's Word. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for Pastor Kyle allowing me to be here and uh, bring the Word to you today. Um, I I was talking to my wife the other day, and she's not here. She uh, flew back from Dallas yesterday, and so she was coming back from a conference, and so we kind of... We, we missed each other, but I've got my girls with me this morning. They're down here on the front row, and they're awesome, and they have to endure a message from dad today because they were in the first service and kids. But uh, my wife f- was flying in, so she wasn't able to join us today. Um, hopefully, you'll meet her at some point, but we were talking the other day, and I just said, um, you know, I've got a, a friend named Sam, pastors in Central PA, um, and, and a friend named Garland, who's a professor at a school, he's spoken for me, and Kyle's spoken for me, and it dawned on me, and my wife said, um, all your friends are bald. <laughs> well, it is, and I told Kyle that, and he said, it's because you're insecure, and you need, you know, you got hair, and you need bald people around you, and, and that might be part of it, and, uh, but the problem is they're all, they're, all those guys are in shape, like Kyle's V-shaped. Have you seen that? Like his shoulders and his arms. And I'm, I'm, more, like, I'm, I'm more like an oval, and that's okay. Um, I told somebody before that, you know, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and I'm just trying to give him as much room as I can. I just, I'm being a gentleman. I want to give him some space, okay? Um, my wife and I have been married. It'll be 16 years this fall. And uh, it's, I can't believe that God has blessed me with her. And um, if you met her, you would know what an incredible gift of grace that is, that God has blessed me with her. Um, I, I, told, I tell people this all the time, that I believe that there's one perfect person for everyone out there, that, that God has a perfect person for you. If you're single, just know, I think God's got a perfect person for, for you. And God brought me that perfect person when he brought Kim into my life. And my prayer now is that God never brings her perfect person to her, because if she does, I'm, I'm in trouble. So, um, so now we've been married 15 years, 16 this fall, and got a great church. I love my church, um, the Summit in Indiana, PA. It's super confusing, but it's okay. Um, we love what God is doing there. He's doing some incredible things. And when Kyle invited me to come speak, I said, hey, what, what, what would you like me to talk about? Or was there a topic? And he said, yeah, we're going to be in the series called The Bible Greatest Hits. And so we're just kind of sharing, you know, our favorite stories and our favorite uh, verses. And, and so I'd love for you to be a part of that. And I said, man, that's great. And I knew immediately what I wanted to share. Um, and, and so my favorite character in the Bible is David. And I love David. And if you're new to church or new to uh, Christ, or maybe you're not, you haven't made that decision yet. You're just checking things out. Um, David was this guy that, um, you might know the story. He killed Goliath. He became king of Israel, but a lot of times we remember his victories, but man, he had some very low points in his life. And I like people like that in the Bible because I can relate to them, right? Like I can't always relate to all the victories, but I can relate to failure. <laughs> I can relate to disappointment. Are, is it, am I by myself or can you? Okay. Thank you. Um, and so when I see some of David's failures, I go, okay, okay. He's more like me than I realized. Okay. Maybe there's something like him in me after all. And so I want to share just a little portion of his story But let me give you just a little bit of background about David. And the title of my message today is Thriving in Adullam. And uh, let me just give you a little bit of background. So in 1 Samuel chapter 15, um, God had anointed a guy named Saul as king over Israel. And so in 1 Samuel 15, Saul had been disobedient to what God asked him to do. uh, And he he had acted contrary to the word of God and what God had told him. And so God pulled the kingdom from him. 
And, and Samuel, the prophet, said to Saul, he said, hey, today you have lost the kingdom. You're, you're still going to have the title, but God has taken the kingdom from you today. So you look down in 1 Samuel 16 then, David is anointed king of Israel. Now, uh, it's funny because they don't coronate him that day. They don't make him the king. They, they, Samuel goes to his house and he looks at all the brothers and all the brothers are good looking and handsome and big and they look like the right one. And God keeps saying, nope, 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 nope. And finally he goes, okay, you got anybody else? And he was like, well, I got my runny kid. He's out there with the, sh- you know, the field and he's watching the sheep. You don't want him. And he goes, well, go get him. He brings him in and the last pick for a kickball was the guy that God used to become the king. So Samuel anoints him as king and you'd think at that point they'd carry him off on their shoulders and take him to the throne room, but they didn't. They said, okay, now, now go back to watching your sheep. It's not time yet. You're anointed king, but the timing's not right for you to take your position. And how disappointing would that be, right? Like you go to school and you're like, hey, I'm the king. And they're like, no, you're not. And they're like, well, I was anointed king. I'll be king someday. You're going you know, to rue the day you remain to me. And like, well, you're not the king. And that would be so disappointing, right? And so that's where he's at. First Samuel 17, he's still the errand boy, and he is taking lunch to his brothers who are on the front line of this war. They're fighting the Philistines, and um, the Philistines have this giant. His name's Goliath, and he's taunting the Israelites, and David shows up with the stuff for his brothers, and what's going on here? And they say, well, he's out there, and he's taunting us, and what are we supposed to do? And David says, I'll take him. So he goes out there, and he kills Goliath in the field. That's his greatest victory ever, and we still talk about it. If you watch sports, and the underdog defeats the, the, the heavy favorite, what do they say? It's with David and Goliath. The, the, one, per, the seemingly insurmountable odds didn't matter. The underdog defeated the giant, right? And so that's where this is taken from. So David defeats Goliath. Now the bad thing is, after this, the people of Israel start saying, Saul has slain his thousands. So they say the king has slain thousands, but David has slain 10,000s. And the insecurity of the king kind of rose up. And he said, wait a second, I'm the king. And this guy's just a punk. And he killed one giant. Who cares? So he starts getting insecure. So that leads to him trying to kill David. Now you might have a crazy boss. Your boss might be nuts. He might hate your guts, but I bet he has never tried to kill you, Right. Um, so no matter how bad your workplace is, he's probably never thrown a spear at you. And that's what Saul started doing. He started trying to kill David. So David runs, uh, his best friend, Jonathan warns him that his, his, the king is trying to kill him. So David escapes in first Samuel chapter 21, David goes to this place called Nob and he meets the, uh, he meets with the priest of Nob as a Himalek. And then we'll come back to this part of the story in just a little bit, but he leaves there and he goes to Gath and Gath was this uh, Philistine, uh, Philistine city. So he leaves, he leaves the security of home because he's afraid for his life. And he goes to the enemy because he was trying to find safety and security. And he acts crazy because he realizes his life is in danger and he leaves there. And uh, if you're interested, um, David wrote a couple of Psalms from Gath or about his time in Gath and it's uh, Psalm chapter 34 and Psalm chapter 56. Sometimes when we read Psalm, the Psalms, we just go, okay, well, this doesn't like I get it, it's nice, but we don't understand the background. We don't understand what's going on. So David was on the run for his life. He, he writes these Psalms and then he escapes there and he goes to this cave and that's where we're gonna pick it up. That was the longest intro ever, I'm sorry. But uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse one is where we'll start off today. This is what it says. It says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Everyone say Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard of it, They went down there to him and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. Doesn't that sound like the best party ever? 
And there were with him about 400 men. So let me explain what's happening here. David escaped the Philistines. He's got nothing. And he goes to this cave that's in the side of this mountain. And he's trying to figure out what to do with his life. Now, let me just give you the context. This was a guy who had won battles in, in, in won victories in battle. He had won wars. He was notable. People knew who he was. He was famous. He had been anointed king at a very young age. So what had happened in his life was he had all of these promises in front of him, but then he ends up in the cave. And I, I can't help but think that he would wake up in the cave and think, God, how did I end up here? I thought I was supposed to be king and now I'm on the run for my life and I'm holed up in this cave. And God, I thought you were good, but I'm in this cave on the run for my life. And then God starts sending people his way and he doesn't send the A-team. He doesn't send the varsity. He sends the rejects and losers. It's the island of misfit toys in this cave, right? It's the people nobody wants. It's his family. Have you ever been to a family reunion before? Like, it's great at first. Like, hey, and you're hugging. And like 10 minutes in, you're like, I want to kill all these people. Like, I'm the only sane, rational person in this family, right? And so God sends all those people to the cave. And one of the reasons they came was because uh, he was a fugitive. And by default, they were in danger because he was a fugitive. So they're like, hey, we got displaced from our homes because of you. And so we're going to come live with you in the cave. Doesn't that sound awesome? So they show up to the cave and they're unhappy. They're frustrated. And then God begins to send other people his way. And the Bible says they were sharp and good looking and drove nice cars and made a lot of money. No, it doesn't. It says they were, it was everyone who was distressed and in debt and bitter in soul. If you were picking a team, this would not be your team, right? These, these were people that were in trouble. And in biblical times, today, everybody seems to have debt. But in biblical times, if you had debt, that was, that was terrible. Like your kids could be taken as slaves because of your debt. And so people that were in debt said, I'm getting out of here. And so all these people began to congregate around David. And they met in the cave of Adullam. And when you look um, at the word Adullam, there's several meanings it can have. But, but one of the most important, one of the most interesting is this. Adullam means the place of no foreseeable future. The place of no hope. So here's David with all this promise in his life of what's going to happen and what's coming up. And you're going to be king someday. And he had won these battles and won these victories. And now he, he resides in the place of no hope, the place of no future. And God sends all of these rejects to him around him. And I can't help but think he wondered every single day, God, do you even know what you are doing? Have you forgotten about me? Did you forget about the promises? Did you forget? Did you lie? Have you walked away? What is going on? I had all these dreams about what my life would look like and be like, the things I'd be a part of, and, and here I am, and they, my hopes seem to be dashed, and you've abandoned me. And if we're honest, a lot of us in this room have probably felt the same way about some things in our lives. We've probably been in situations, maybe you're here today and you feel that way. You think, God, the marriage I'm in, I didn't sign up for this. This isn't what God promised me. My, my, husband, my husband was supposed to treat me better than that. My wife was supposed to act differently. My job was not supposed to be like this. God, our finances weren't supposed to be this way. 
And the list can go on and on and on because you had a set of expectations. You had a set of dreams. You believed your life would be a certain way. And today you're in that place of no hope. You're saying, God, what is this all about? And I think we've all been there. If we're honest, I think we've all been there at some point. Maybe we're there right now. But I want to encourage you today. Psalm chapter 34, verse 18 says this. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Another version says he rescues the crushed in spirit. So if you're here today, and you feel like that's you, you feel like all your dreams are gone, and you've been disappointed, and you don't know how you're going to make it from point A to point B, you're stuck, guess what? God hasn't forgotten about you. You might be here today, and you feel like God has abandoned you. You feel like you've been crushed. You feel like you've been forgotten. But the good news is, no matter how you feel, God is here. He's with you. When we feel lost, he draws near to us. Uh, one of the beautiful things about having kids is I realize how much of a picture that is for our relationship with God. And sometimes, um, you know, when things are going bad for my girls, what do they want? They want me to come alongside them and pull them real close to me and say, baby, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And some of you are here today and you feel lost and you feel like God needs to do that. But can I tell you, you might not feel it, but God is doing that. He draws near to you when you're crushed in spirit, when you need a refuge. So I want to encourage you in that today. If you're following along with your notes on the app, um, you can follow along here. But I just want to give you three keys for thriving in a dullum. When you're in that place of no hope and no future, I want to give you three keys what it looks like to thrive in that place. Because David didn't just survive the cave and make it out with his life. He thrived in that place, and God used that in incredible ways. So God wants to use this season of no hope for, for something in the future. God doesn't waste our pain or sorrow. There's not a single tear that falls that God wastes. He uses that all, and God wants to use this season. So let's talk just a little bit about that. The first thing I think we have to see is that we have to look up. When we find ourselves in that place of no hope and no future, we have to look up. Because a lot of times what happens with depression, what happens with disappointment, is we begin to focus on ourselves. Well, if God would just take care of me, if God would just provide for me, if God hadn't done this to me, and all of a sudden everything in our world becomes about us. And if I could just get this, my life would be better. If my wife would just stop doing that, and right? And everything becomes about us. But what God needs us to do, and what really God doesn't need it for us, what we need to do is get our eyes off of ourselves. Because what happens is we begin to look at our circumstances, situation, and we go, how could we ever get out of this? But when we look at our God, we have to know that our God is bigger than our circumstance. I'm thankful that God is not defined by the circumstances of my life, that God is so much bigger than my circumstances and sometimes we have to remind ourselves of that. So this is what it says. Uh, this is a psalm that David wrote during his time in Adullam. It's Psalm chapter 57. Bear with me. I'm going to read a little bit of this, verses 1 through 11. It says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. See, I love this. He hasn't seen the salvation yet, right? He's in the cave, but he said, I know my God is faithful and he will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me, Selah. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lay down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. 
They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. And I love this because what he is doing is he's reminding himself, I haven't seen the answer of my prayers yet, but I'm, I'm reminding myself that God is good. I'm reminding myself that I'm gonna be steadfast. I don't feel like being steadfast. I don't feel like being faithful, but I'm reminding myself that I'm gonna be faithful because God is faithful. I, God doesn't feel good in my circumstance, but, I, but I'm reminding myself, God is good. And that's one of the reasons we sing songs. It's not just to, to buy the preacher time so that they can figure out what they're talking about. You know, it's not just what we do before we preach. Worship is all about um, reminding ourselves, reminding me personally and reminding ourselves corporately who God is, his character and his nature. So we come in here, no matter what our days look like, we begin to worship together and we begin to remind ourselves, you know what, God is good. God is big. God isn't impacted by the issues of our world. He, he's not impacted by ISIS or the economy or, or disease or famine. Like God's not wringing his hands. God is bigger than all that. And if he's bigger than that, then he's bigger than the situations in your life, right? And so we remind ourselves of these things during worship. And it's almost like he's, he's making himself. He's, he's telling himself, hey, I don't feel steadfast, but I'm going to be steadfast. And he goes on to say, awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will wake the dawn. He's saying, okay, it doesn't matter what the circumstances look like. I'm going to worship. I'm going to pursue God. And in that, I'm going to find my victory. Verse 9 says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. Why Again, why is he giving him thanks? He's in the cave of Adullam. He's in the place of no foreseeable future, right? But he says, I'm going to thank God anyhow. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. See, one of the things we have to understand is that worship provides us with a healthy perspective. It helps us see God for who he actually is. Because our circumstances, it, it, it filters the way we see God and the way we view God. And it causes us to see him incorrectly. But when we worship and we can remind ourselves who God is, then it kind of clears the heavens and lets us go, okay, there you are, God. I, I, I remember who you are now. You are good. You are faithful. You, are, you will take care of us. I, I remember that now. And that's what worship can do in our lives. And David, David was good at that. He understood that. So that's the first thing we have to do, look up. Look at God. Keep your eyes focused on him. The second thing we have to do is look around. Um, in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 3, this is what it says. And David went from there, so he went from the cave to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. Um, I love this because David understood in that place of no hope, it could have negative consequences for the people around him. Because see, sometimes when we think we're dealing with junk, we think it's just us, right? Well, it's not hurting anybody. It's just, yeah, I'm in a funk or I'm depressed or I'm having a bad day or my relationship with God is suffering, whatever it is, but it's not affecting anyone else. No, it absolutely is affecting other people. And David could have stayed in that cave and said, well, it's not impacting anybody else. But he realized the fact that his family was there. And he got his eyes off himself and said, you know what? In order for my family to survive, they can't stay in this place. And he took his family to Moab and he said, can they stay with you until this is passed, till I know what God's going to do, right? So I love it that he said, I'm going to get my eyes off myself, and I'm going to realize that there are negative consequences for my family if I stay in this place, and if they stay in this place, so we can't do it. 
But the second thing he did, which I love, was it wasn't just negative consequences. There were positive things, too, that could come from the cave there if he got his eyes off himself. Because, again, he could stay in that cave all day going, well, God just hates me. I can't believe it, and play the victim. We all know people like that, don't we? You know, the Uncle Rico that would say, man, if Coach would have played me, we'd have gone all the way to state. Right? I could, I could throw this ball over the mountains. And it's like, no, you couldn't. Like, stop living in the past. Stop being the victim, right? We all know people like that. David could have played that card. He could have said, man, God told me I was going to be king. I'm not king and I can't believe it. My life stinks. He could have done that, but he didn't. What did I say earlier? It said God sent all these rejects to him, right? The people that were in debt, the people that were bitter, the people that were just unhappy. He began sending those people. And instead of David saying, you, you people just leave. You're making my life miserable. What did he do? He began to lead them. See, I'm, I'm going to, this is spoiler alert. If you're not, if you're not, part of church, if you don't know the story of David, David becomes the king of Israel and, and regarded as the greatest king of Israel. Um, but one of the things he did when he became king was he surrounded himself, and the Bible calls them mighty men of valor. He began to surround himself with these mighty men of valor. And these were guys that would be his generals and his military leaders, his, his closest confidants. And the people that he surrounded himself with were the people that were with him in Adullam. It was the people that God sent to him as the rejects and losers in Adullam. David began to lead them and pour into them, and he became their leader in that moment. See, it's easy for us to say, when the circumstances are right, I'll become a part. When, when my life is perfect, then I'll get involved in church. When our finances are perfect, then I'll start to give. Right? It's, there wasn't a lot of amens there. It's okay. I can say this stuff. I'm not the pastor here. Right? When, when situation is absolutely optimal, then we'll take a step for God. Then we'll begin to serve. Then we'll begin to get plugged into youth and kids. Then we'll do all the, when everything's perfect. And if David would have waited for that, he would have died in the cave. But he didn't. He said, God, what have you called me to do? You've called me to be king. And maybe my calling is not going to be what I expected it to be. Maybe I'll never rule in the palace, but God, you called me to lead. So I'm going to lead right here in Adullam. I'm going to lead right here in the place of no hope. And these people need a leader. I'm going to lead them. And he was faithful to his calling in the cave of Adullam. And I really, I firmly believe that because he was faithful in Adullam, God paved the way to the palace because of that. Because he was faithful in that place of no hope and no future. Because he said yes to God in that moment, I really believe God paved the way for him to lead in the palace. And it could not have happened if he wasn't faithful in the cave. I don't believe it. God surrounded him with the right people, although they looked like the wrong people, right? And God used that for his glory. See, the nativity or the birth of David's kingship was found in the cave of Adullam. He could have looked at it and said, I'm the victim. But instead he said, God, you want to do something even here. And his royal authority was born in the cave. And see, some of you are going through circumstances, situations, and you feel like the victim. I want you to know that, that God is not just dropping you off and depositing you in a place. God wants to birth something in you while you're in that place of no hope. God wants to do something incredible in you. Not someday, but right now. And it begins in that place of no hope or no future or no joy or no, right? That's where it begins. But we have to choose to be faithful in that. See, we want the palace, but we don't want the cave, right? Right? God, can we just fast forward through the junk 
and get me to the palace? Can you just, you know, fast forward through the tough years of marriage to get me to the good years of marriage? Can, okay, God, can you just fast forward through to get me to, right? But that's not the way God works. God uses suffering in our lives for his glory. Now, understand, I didn't say God sends suffering into our lives for his glory, but God will use that suffering for his glory. Sometimes it drives me crazy, and not that I've got the market cornered on truth, but it drives me crazy when I see um, scriptures taken like wildly out of context. And uh, one of those that I think is taken out of context a lot is Romans 8.28, and it's all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And it's a great passage. It's a great verse. But what happens a lot of times is people go, well, man, um, I had a bad day at work, but all things work together, so I know God's going to give me a good work. God might promote me tomorrow, right? Or I got in a car wreck today, but all things work together for good, so God's going to give me a better car tomorrow. And maybe he will, but maybe he won't. You go, okay, hey, you know what? Um, I got fired, so I'm getting a better job tomorrow. Maybe, but maybe not. We can't rely on this verse as our proof text for that. Does that make sense? Because what this verse is actually saying is, is you are going to suffer. And when you do, it's going to draw us closer to the heart of God. The good that we see here, all things work together for good. That good is that we're going to know God more intimately than ever before in our lives. Because of our suffering, because of our loss, because of our disappointment, it's going to drive us back to the throne of heaven and say, God, okay, I'm at a loss. I need you. And in that moment, in that disappointment, in that place of no hope, we're going to discover a God that we never knew otherwise. He does work all things together for good. But sometimes that good is different than what we'd expect it to be. Sometimes that good is that we just know the heart of God really, really intimately. So what did David do? He looked up. He looked up at God and said, okay, God, I'm going to worship you in spite of my circumstance. He looked around at the people around him. He said, I've got to remove some people from this situation, but I need to be faithful in my calling in this cave. And God began to do a work there. And the last thing we see is that he had to look back. And... Um, I probably don't even need to say this, but I was an athlete in high school. I'm sure you can tell by looking at me. Um, <laughs> it's like, I, I, get, I don't want to stand next to Jake Worth because it's like, no, you don't stand too close to me. Just stand over there. Stand away from me, right? Um, the, the greeter in the CrossFit, I was like, yeah, I don't even want to stand by you. Like, get away from me. Um, but when I was in high school, I, I played several sports, but I ran track. And I know that's a shocker, but I ran track. And um, one of the things our track coach would say to us over and over and over and over again is when you're running, never, ever, ever look back. And he would tell us every time you look back, you lose a tenth of a second. And, and you know when you're a runner, every, every measurement of time counts. Every little bit counts. You want to gain every advantage you can. So we knew you never look back. And a lot of times... That's absolutely true. We shouldn't look back because when we dwell on the past, a lot of times it's, it's destructive for us. That's why Paul says, hey, I forget about what's behind. I press, toward, press on toward the high mark, right? And so there are things in our lives that we need to forget about, that we need to lay down, that we need to forgive ourselves or forgive others. We need to forget about some of that stuff. But there are times we do need to look back. I know in my life, it's way easier for me to look back and remember the, the failures than it is the victories, isn't it? Don't you think back of all the times you blew it and messed up and all the times um, you wish you could do over? And sometimes it's hard to remember the victories, but I think one of the things God wants us to do is look back and remember the victories. Look back and remember the times that he's been good. So let me read this passage of scripture to you. Um, 
this is going back, I mentioned earlier in the introduction that, that David came to that place of Nob and he met with the high priest Ahimelech. Let me, let me read uh, this interaction to you. Basically, he got there by himself. He had nothing because he, he left immediately. He didn't pack a bag. He just left to get away from Saul. And so he gets to Nob and he asks for food and then he asks for weapons. So let me read this to you starting in verse eight. It says, then David said to Ahimelech, then have you not a spirit or sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor weapons with me because the king's business required haste. Verse nine says, and the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the, field, in the valley of Allah, behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. For, never, or for there is none but that here. And David said, there is none like it, give it to me. And, I, and you look at this and you go, man, what an incredible coincidence this is, Right? Like, how, how coincidental is that, that David would show up without a weapon and, and Ahimelech would say, hey, we've only, the only weapon we have here is this, this relic of war that we've got. It's wrapped up. It's behind the ephod. You can have it if you want. Oh, yeah, it's the sword of Goliath whom you slew. Now, the Bible is, is R-rated. I mean, sometimes we think of the Bible and we think of like the the, the scenes that we paint on the nursery walls, you know, with the people with big eyes and the, the, all the animals going onto the ark. But the reality is everybody on earth died, right? Like we don't put that on the, on the wall, on the mural. That would be terrifying to our kids. So we don't do that, right? And so sometimes we have pictures of like David and Goliath and they're all, oh. But what we don't realize is David didn't kill Goliath with a sling and stone. He, he knocked him down, he knocked him out, but he killed him when he walked over to him in front of everybody in the Valley of Allah, and he takes Goliath's sword out of the sheath, and it's shing, and then he lops off his head with it. He cuts off Goliath's head, and that's when they win the victory that day. So David, with the very instrument of his greatest victory, it's handed to him in, in the moment of, at probably at that point, his greatest fear, the, the place where he's feeling like his, his hopes and dreams have been taken from him. The, the rug has been pulled out from under him. And he is given by the priest the instrument of his greatest victory. Do you think that's coincidence? Do you think that's just luck? No. I really believe that was God trying to remind David of the victories in his past. But again, in that moment, he was terrified. He was on the run from the king. He was a fugitive. He takes the, the sword. And where does he go? He goes to Adullam. And if you, if you know the geography of that area, Adullam overlooks this valley. And the valley that we've already mentioned today, it overlooks the valley of Allah. So every day, David would wake up. And I can imagine him walking to the mouth of that cave with his sword in his hand, overlooking the valley, the very place that he had won his greatest victory, the place that people knew him for. And I don't think that's an accident. I think that's God's grace pursuing us, reminding us that I won the victory before. I'm going to win it again. I can imagine the Holy Spirit whispering to David saying, we did it before. We can do it again. You didn't win that battle. God did. God's going to fight the battle again. You feel like there's no hope. But look at that circumstance that you overcame already. I can do that again. I feel like in this place, there are people that need to be reminded of how God has won the battle for us in the past. You didn't fight the battle before. God won it for you, right? God, God fought the battle already. He fought the battle and he won the victory. And he's going to do that again. When I first got to the summit 
One of the things I told our church is I said, I, I can't promise you how big we'll be or how successful we'll be. I can't promise make any of those promises. But this is my promise to you is that we will be faithful to everything God calls us to do. Because in scripture we see when we get to heaven someday, God's not gonna say, well done, good and successful servant, right? He's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant. See, when we are in the, in the, the cave of Adullam, God's not asking us to fix our situation or, or white knuckle our way out of it. He's not asking us to fix it. He's asking us to be faithful. Can you be faithful? Because the victory is God's. See, when God has pulled you through before, it wasn't you who pulled you through before. You're not good enough or strong enough or talented enough or smart enough to pull yourself out of situations, but God is. He won the victory before, and the same God who won that victory is in control today. And he's willing and able to come alongside you and take you and lift you out of that place. But the question is, will you trust him? Will you be faithful to what he's asking you to do? Um, you know, another meaning of the word adullam, uh, another way it can be interpreted is their testimony or their ornament. And the truth is when we deal with difficulties and, and struggles and um, I almost hate to use the word persecution, but when, when we walk through difficult situations in our lives, the truth is they are real, Right? And sometimes we walk away from those with deep wounds and deep hurts. Summer movie that I, I loved, I saw it when I was a kid. In my, uh, I saw it at my cousin's house. I shouldn't have seen it. It was rated R. Jaws. Has anybody seen Jaws before? Terrifying. Especially when you're like eight years old and you see Jaws. Like you never want to go back into a, like, there's a puddle on the sidewalk, you're like, there might be a Jaws in there. I'm not going in there, right? Like, I would go in the kiddie pool at the public pool, but I wasn't even going in the pool because, like, on the deep end, you can't see the bottom. So there might, be a, there might be a great white shark swimming around in that chlorinated public city pool down there. So I, I was terrified of Jaws. Uh, but now as I've gotten older, I appreciate it a little more. But at the end of this movie, at the end of Jaws, um, or toward the end, you've got these guys that are hunting the shark. Okay, so you've got uh, the sheriff, you've got the, the, the guy that owns the boat, the fisherman, and you've got the scientist, and they're sitting on the boat, and they're kind of waiting for things to develop, and they're sitting around in the galley, and they're talking, and they're talking about their experiences with sharks, and they're telling their stories, and before you know it, guys start lifting up their pant leg, and yeah, this is where one got me here, and here, see, these are the scars here where this one got me here, and man, I barely survived it, but yeah, I got away, it was a big one, and they start telling their stories of survival, they start telling their stories of their scars, and you realize in the moment, this isn't something these guys are embarrassed about, they're not embarrassed or ashamed of their scars, for these guys, these are ornaments, these are these are merit, uh, uh, merits of valor for them. Look at what I've survived. Look what I've been through. And this is what I believe. I believe that when we are walking through something and we are hurt and we are wounded, when the scars come, we can be ashamed of that or we can look back and go, look at what God brought me through. Look at, look at how faithful God was. That he, he lifted me up and I couldn't have done that, but God did it. God, God kept me through that situation. Man, I didn't know if our marriage was going to make it. I, I, was, I, was, I had a foot out the door, but man, God rescued us. And I have some scars from that, but God is faithful. Man, I didn't know how we were going to pay our bills, but man, I was faithful to tithe. I was faithful to give. And when we were, man, God rescued us. God took care of us. Man, my job, I thought it was, oh, and this is what God did. See, there's some of us in this room that feel hopeless. You feel like you're in that cave of Adullam. That God has, has abandoned you, but God hasn't abandoned you. 
God sees you. And in, in time, you are going to be his greatest ornament. Uh, Indiana is known, Indiana, Pennsylvania is known as the Christmas tree capital of the world. I'm sure you're all very impressed uh, by that. Uh, tree farms all over the place, and they make a big deal about Christmas. And, and I don't know about you, but I know there are people that have special ornaments. So like my wife has like a fancy tree that's like pretty. And then we have like the tree for the rest of us. It's like the ones, the handmade ornaments. And it's like all the Hallmark ornaments from when we were kids and all that kind of stuff. It's just mismatched. But all those ornaments have a special value because we can remember and go, man, um, Abby made that when she was in the third grade. Or, hey, this is my, my grandma gave this to me when I was a little boy. Or, and they all have some sort of special value. And I truly believe when we are faithful to God through our struggles, through Adullam, I think there's a time that we're going to come back and God's going to go, man, I remember this one. This, this is one of my favorite ornaments right here. The, the, the time that they could have given up, but they didn't. And I brought them through. I'm so proud of them. I'm so proud of this ornament. I think that's what God's calling us to be is an ornament for him, for his glory. This is not just about us. God's telling a bigger story than just your story. There's a passage um, that says that Abraham wasn't living his story. He was living a God story. And that's the truth for all of us. We think that our suffering is about us, but it's not. Our suffering is telling a much bigger story of God's faithfulness to the world if we'll let him tell that story. God's not asking you to get yourself out of it. He's just asking you to be faithful. And the question is, will you be faithful in your place of no hope? Let's pray. God, I love you. Lord, I'm thankful for your goodness in our lives. That God, although our, our circumstances dictate that you're not a good God and that you've forgotten about us, God, I know that you are. You are a good God. Lord, we have been through things. All of us have been through things in our past and we have seen your goodness demonstrated. So God, I pray that we would not forget about your goodness in our lives. We would not forget about your love and your mercy and your grace. I pray right now for those that are here that are struggling in specific situations, God. They're struggling because they feel like they have no hope or no future. God, I pray right now you'd rekindle that, that vision, that future hope, God. Let them know that you haven't forgotten about them. Come alongside them. Let your comforter, let your Holy Spirit speak life into them and build them up. God, let them see that this isn't their final destination, but God, you've got a future for them that they can't begin to imagine. So God, I pray your blessing on this place right now. God, I pray that you begin to knit marriages back together in this place. God, I pray that, that you would begin to restore hopes and dreams that have been laid down or forgotten. God, I pray right now, you'd begin to do a work in this place that only you can do. God, I thank you for your unbelievable love for us. God, I pray that we would just simply be faithful to you, God. Lord, let us glorify you with everything we think, say, and do. God, I pray that our lives would not be about us, but let it be about you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Mel. You know, uh, sometimes God has a way of trying to get a message through to, to you and to me and to our church. And I don't think it's any coincidence that last week that God led Jake to share about Joseph and that Joseph had to go through a prison to get to the palace and, and the difficulties that he went through in order to get to the, the plan and the purpose that God had for him. And then this week, Mel shares about David, another hero of faith and scripture and how God had to take him through the cave to get to the palace and to fulfill his purpose. And I think God is trying to say something to all of us and that probably in this room last week, this week, that there's many of you that, that find yourselves in that situation where you feel like there may not be hope for you. There may not be hope 
for what God has told you and the, the plan that you thought would happen. And today, with last week and this week, I feel like God is, is shouting from heaven that there's hope and that I'm with you. And that if you can stay faithful and keep your focus not on yourself and not on the things going on around you, but keep your focus on me and keep your focus on the future that I have for you. And if you will press through, that you will get through it. And sure, you may have some battle wounds and you may have some scars along the way. But as Mel said, those scars won't remind you of the difficulty. They're going to remind you of God's faithfulness in your life and the purpose that he has and the, the awesome thing that God does with our, with our difficulties is that I can almost guarantee you that at some point someone's going to come across your path. They're going to come across your desk at work. They're going to be sitting next to you somewhere, and they're going to say, man, I'm going through this, this, this situation. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. And you're going to be able to say, hey, I was there. Let me tell you what, what God did for me. Let me tell you that there is hope, that there is purpose. And you're going to see God take your pain and use it for his purpose, and it's going to encourage you, and you're going to go, it was redeemed. It was right.